All right, welcome back. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Another week. Here we go again with another week. And I just spoke to Adrian Dix, the health minister, mm-hmm. who says that the next four weeks will be the most difficult weeks yep. of the entire pandemic, even though we've got the vaccine online. Yep, and he's not the only one saying that. Um, March and April are, are considered critical because there's a rising amount of COVID. The virus is spreading out there. I did a report last night on Global pointing out that our daily average case numbers now, seven-day rolling average, is the highest since it was in early January. The number of hospitalizations are the highest since early February. The number of ICU cases are the highest since December 18th. And our active case numbers, uh, people are within the 14-day incubation period, are the highest since early January. So what we're seeing is we saw a second wave begin in September, October, really started to boost up in, in November into mid-December. Then we started to descend a bit. Right. And we started to slowly get the numbers down until about the second week of February. But since then, we've either plateaued or we've been steadily increasing in all four of those categories. So the only good thing right now, well, there's two good things. Our mortality rate has is, is gone down significantly because most people, most of our deaths were associated with long-term care residents. And they've all been vaccinated. And that means the number of people dying in long-term care has basically gone down to right. pretty well zero. Yeah. And so our mortality rate is really down from what it was in November, December. That's great news. Number of people vaccinated, uh, we've hit, I think, 10% of the target population right now, which is great, and that's going to continue to go up. But the hospitalizations, ICUs, and case numbers are likely going to remain high for some time. Okay, and that, that begs no, the that, question, is this a third wave? Well, that, I just anticipated I was going to ask you, like, is this the third wave that we're in? Now, I asked, I asked Dix that a short time ago. Is this a third wave? And what we're seeing, he sort of gave me a noncommittal yeah, answer. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see a health minister say it's a third wave yet. Why Although not? We've got some epidemiologists saying yeah. perhaps. The other thing, of course, is the variants. So the UK yeah. variant, the B117, is on the ascendancy. And we've had more than 500 cases in one week. Almost 500 cases of, of that particular variant in one week. Now, keep in mind, a lot of the variants are discovered post-incubation period because it's, it's done through genomic sequencing tests, which can take some time. But keep an eye on the number of active cases. I think we're 143 active variant cases. That could start to replace COVID-19 as the dominant virus, as it has in Ontario, as it has in much of Europe. And that may be very well where we're we're headed in BC. We're not there yet. Okay, so he was hesitant to kind of say it was a third wave, but he did say that we're in the toughest part of the entire pandemic here in the next month. And he talked about the sort of concurrent optimism going on with the vaccine being rolled out, but also these case numbers going up in the variant cases that we're seeing. So is is there a danger that you know people start to relax or let their guard down I think you're knowing seeing that the already is coming i think you're seeing people relax already i think the good weather has people yeah. uh, relaxing uh even though you're allowed to gather with uh up to 10 people the same 10 people not you know mix and match yeah. all the time uh but i've just noticed there seems to be more activity in stores there seems to be more activity uh in restaurants uh i don't go to restaurants but i walk by them and check on them through the windows and i've just noticed there seems to be more people sitting at tables again not necessarily violating the six at a table but it's obvious that people are associating with each other indoors when they don't live together okay and that's not advice. bring on the vaccine you know this is it's so it's such an important period that we're, we're going through here right now what about this afternoon are we going to have an, we got another three-day uh, case count coming up yeah and we've been averaging almost 560 cases a day we had yep. 737 on friday yeah hopefully we don't have uh, more 700 case days so you could be seeing like a 1500 case count 
Oh, if it's fifteen hundred, so, fifteen hundred would actually be a relief because that would yeah. be we'd be down from our daily case average. The concern is if we're over two thousand, uh, it means we're our our daily case average continues to grow. Two hundred ninety-two people in hospital. That's a number I've always, since day one, always keep an eye on the hospitalization yep. number, and hopefully that number doesn't go up. But it's been inching up steadily. Okay, that news conference coming this afternoon. The last week, last week on the show, we talked about this uh, remark that Premier John Horgan made the other day, where he was asked. Look, if you get the vaccine and someone else is unvaccinated, if you've already received the vaccine, would you be allowed to have more freedom to, to do do certain things mm-hmm. in the province? Like, would there be kind of a two-tier system no. of people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated in terms of what you're allowed to do? And he basically said, yeah. I mean, he said, yeah, BC is going toward that uh, a system like that. That jumped out at you last week and, and myself as well. He's going like, well, I don't know. Did Horgan put his foot in it on this? Now, I just asked Dix about that. Mm-hmm. I played the clip for him, and here's what Dix said to me. I think, I think, uh, I think he means they'll be safer. Uh, that's how really? I take it to mean. Because, uh, and, uh, and they will be. I mean, we've seen these are all three of the vaccines that are now available in B.C. are some okay. of the most effective vaccines we've ever seen, and they'll be safer. But that doesn't mean things are going to change overnight. But once we reach a higher level of uh, vaccination, it'll be safer for everybody. Every time someone else gets vaccinated, it makes you and I safer, even though we haven't been vaccinated, Mike. And I yeah. think uh, I think that's what the Premier's talking about. Okay, so <laughs> what the premier meant think, to say? He, yeah, he thinks that's what, he thinks that's what the premier's <laughs> yeah, talking about. Well, so to be clear, and, and Dr. Barney Henry actually jumped in on the briefing on Thursday to answer this question and to make it clear: things do not change when you get vaccinated. We are still in the following public health rules together. There's no difference between people being vaccinated and unvaccinated right now. Uh, we're, we're only at 10% of the population being vaccinated. That does not mean 10% of the population doesn't have to wear a mask, doesn't have to keep their social distancing, and somehow have uh, lesser restrictions. We're all in this in the same boat, whether you're vaccinated or not, and that's not going to change probably until summer or fall. When we have so many people vaccinated, we may ach- achieve herd immunity, but we're not there yet. So the premier, I think, Again, I don't think he he meant uh, ill here, ill will or anything like that. I think he just sort of misread the situation, that this is not a situation where if you get vaccinated, you suddenly get to shuck off a bunch of restrictions. Well, that's what he said. He said basically people who have been got the vaccine will have more flexibility uh, to do activities that other people would no. presumably not. That's what he said, and, and um, we had the minister there kind of reinterpreting. Well, you're, you're, well if, get vaccinated because you will. Yeah. It will be safer. You will be well, safer. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean you get to suddenly, you know, go f- uh, gather with fifty people in a hockey yeah. arena. Okay, let's talk about the federal conservative convention that took oh, yeah. place last week, uh, virtual, of course, online. We had a, a keynote speech from Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, and then we had this controversial vote on climate change uh, by the party delegates. So let me play, first of all, Aaron O'Toole, the Green Party leader. Now, this is in his speech before the vote, okay, mm-hmm. by party members on climate change, and here's what the conservative leader had to say. We all want a green future for our children. We cannot ignore the reality of climate change. The debate is over. But a conservative government will not solve this problem on the backs of working Canadians. Okay, so he's basically sticking to the line that they'll get rid of Trudeau's carbon tax. But the the key note there that he had there was the debate is over on climate no, change. Not over We're not going party. back. It's not over right. So party. then, so what happened after that? So then they had a vote on whether to include two sentences in their policy platform, which is basically to recognize that climate uh, change is real. Right. 
and that the conservatives would be very um, they're willing to act willing like to the, act. the actual the actual wording of this resolution was climate change is real and a conservative government mm-hmm. is willing to act to confront it and, and the party members voted that down 54 percent against yeah. led by mostly grassroots delegates in in alberta saskatchewan manitoba yeah. and bc uh, Quebec and uh, some of the maritime provinces voted in favor of it, but this is a very divisive issue for the conservatives. You can just see Justin <laughs> Trudeau and and Jagmeet Singh just rubbing their hands on this because this is this is just music to their ears. You've got an issue now that divides the conservative party. Yeah. Uh, that is, the conservatives are just behind the public on this. I mean, climate change is has leapfrogged other issues as a issue, particularly in the suburbs and urban areas of the country. Okay. This vote, though, by party members on a policy resolution, it's not its not binding no, on Aaron the party, O'Toole okay? Can, Aaron O'Toole can unveil a platform come the next election that, if he wants, has a carbon tax, but can have a very aggressive anti-climate uh, change strategy. It's, it, right. It, so it's not binding, but it is more the optics of this and a reflection of where the party grassroots are at. Well, I think and, it, 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 it uh, illustrates the potential divisions in the party that you just described. Now, let me play this here for you. Now, this is O'Toole later, okay? Now, he's asked for his reaction on this vote by party members to vote down this resolution recognizing c- climate change, and here's what he said. What is your response to the failure of the climate change resolution? We will have a serious and comprehensive plan on climate change to reduce emissions in the next election. Climate change and fighting it is important to the Conservative Party of Canada. Right. So it doesn't matter that this resolution was voted down. They'll still bring out an election platform that recognizes climate change in a plan. But it, it gives the Liberals and NEP a pretty good stick to beat over the head of the, of the Conservatives' come election. That you may say one thing, Mr. O'Toole: How can we trust you, given that your party is against the notion that climate uh, change is real? So, uh, not a good day for the Conservatives. And Mr. O'Toole's it, problem he's got is him versus his own party. I mean, he's he's uh, in the wrong lane when it comes to a number yeah, of but, issues. But you know, for people who are die-hard conservative members who actually go to the trouble of registering to be a delegate and to vote mm-hmm. in this convention. I mean, that is like your bedrock base of the conservative party, and yeah. it just shows where they are at. So is should that really not be that surprising? There's a lot of Alberta delegates there, as you mentioned. Yeah, and uh, there was a lot. There's a strong social conservative element in right. that, in that convention as well, yeah. which uh, again is a problem for O'Toole, but it's not one that he necessarily can't manage. It's just another challenge for him. As as the next election hovers into view, uh, he's got some divisions, and and there's reports his own caucus, you know, are upset yeah. with a number of measures. All right, welcome back. Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on yourself. Phil in Vancouver. Hey, Phil. Yes, hello. I've enjoyed listening to both of you since your humble beginnings. So anyways, what I wanted to say was uh, uh, what happened to the 100% revenue neutral component? Uh, I remember when Carol Taylor was finance minister back in 2008, she was the first politician in B.C. to bring in a revenue neutral component to a carbon tax. I think the Conservatives would slay the Liberals if they did that because Trudeau has made zero promises about a 100% revenue neutral component. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for the call. Yeah, revenue neutrality has sort of ebbed um, over the years. It started out as revenue neutral, BC's carbon tax. Uh, that has stopped being revenue neutral. Uh, and revenue neutral means if they increase the carbon tax, they're supposed to lower another tax. Yes, 
uh, uh, so offs- it, to offset it, it, it. It's out at zero or less. Yeah, uh, that hasn't been happening. Which I always thought was dubious to begin with. But yeah, anyway. it's a, it's moving targets. But again, yeah. the the politics of carbon taxes are fascinating because Gordon Campbell, of all people, brought it in in, yeah. in BC. The NDP opposed it. Yes, if you recall. Sure, Since, I remember Horgan up in the legislature ranting and raving about how bad it is. And now yeah. he, now he uh, jacks it up every year. Exactly, and so it's uh, it's it's shifting sands on on carbon taxes. And I'm not sure in this upcoming election campaign if there is one this spring. I mean, we saw in the BC election there really were no issues. It just was status quo. And maybe well, he's going to have to say something. You know, O'Toole's going to have to do something about climate change and some sort of carbon well, pricing. He's going to have presumably. to change. He's going to have to get the conversation going on, on a number of issues to change the the dial of the electorate. And so far, it's a it's a challenge for him. Let's go to Andrew and Burnaby. Hey, Andrew. Oh, hey. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, just wanted to talk about the uh, the uh, vaccination. I heard from a couple different healthcare providers that some vaccine was going into the garbage can because it was expiring before having a chance to go into people's arms. Um, so I guess my question is, have you heard anything like that? And I'm also wondering why it seems to me the media is kind of going soft on our provincial healthcare leaders because I think they're only just starting to get to persons in their in their 70s right now, and, and that track record seems very bad to me. Okay, okay Andrew, thanks. Well, uh, BC has more older people than any other province. I mean, that, and so that's been a challenge to get the 90-year-olds and 80-year-olds vaccinated. We're in the 70s this week. We should get through everybody up to the age of 70, 75 and older this week. Um, the numbers of vaccinations are starting to go up significantly. We, we were at, How are we doing compared to other provinces? More than Alberta, but in yeah. terms of demographics, because we have different demographics, they are at a younger stage in terms of age. So we're vaccinating more people. But they've got younger people. And what about and what about the caller saying they'd heard that some expired vaccine? Yeah, so this happened. This there was some um, incidents early on where again some of the vaccines once well once Pfizer's un, is thawed you can't refreeze it you have to use it. Yeah. And so there have been instances in the past where you've they've gotten through the allotment of people who were going to get the vaccine frontline healthcare workers and then there are some administrators who aren't necessarily frontline workers who have been vaccinated because uh, otherwise it just goes bad. So you yeah, might as so well use it. People have to realize it's in our interest to have everyone vaccinated not yeah. necessarily on an orderly fashion if there's vaccines kicking around at the end of the day put them in the arms of people no matter who they are let's go to james on the line in vancouver no i think hi thanks talk? for yeah. taking my call guys yeah go ahead um I, I like i could really care less about the posturing of any of the parties i want to see a budget i want to see how badly yeah. screwed we are because of this because there's been no transparency and i'm yeah. also wondering why there isn't more coverage on the fact that chevron's pulled out of lng up in kitimat and nobody's talking about the monster loss that bc's going to have over that Okay. Yeah, that, that's good. A good point. The, the LNG uh, uh, pipeline uh, or the LNG Canada project is certainly in jeopardy, and this is. But again, what we've learned in this pandemic, so many things have fallen off the table in terms of, of big issues. I mean, the Site C dam has gone from almost doubled in budget, and uh, people aren't even talking about. It. So again, these big projects. Uh, it's interesting. There's fifteen thousand vaccines on their way to the workers at Site C, LNG Canada. Uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline and Coastal Gas Link. All those projects have been in the news for different reasons over the years, and there's just not even a heartbeat there.